You're listening to continuing coverage of the Oncology Power Hour on ReachMD. From each according to his ability, to each according to his needs, Karl Marx. Will it take a revolution to end racial disparity in healthcare? You're listening to ReachMD, a channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host, and with me today is Dr. Peter Bach. Dr. Bach is an associate attending physician at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York. He is a member of the Health Outcomes Research Group and from 2005 to 2006 served as a senior advisor to the administrator of the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, where he oversaw the agency's cancer initiatives, evidence development work, and data policy. He is a member of the Institute of Medicine's National Cancer Policy Forum. Greetings, Dr. Bach. It's great to have you take the time to join us at the Clinician's Roundtable. Thank you for having me. You've written extensively on racial and ethnic disparities in health care. Have you ever been discriminated against? No, I, I think I've actually been incredibly lucky, and if anything, I've been blessed by people giving me the benefit of the doubt at a number of points in my career. What was it then that moved you from, you're an epidemiologist, biostatistician, I think you're certified in critical care and respiratory medicine. How did you get involved in the study of racial disparity in healthcare? Well, I got involved from an epidemiologic perspective. I study patterns of disease and patterns of disease mortality, specifically in cancer, and I got interested because there's been a persistent gap in cancer mortality between blacks and whites that's remained relatively unexplained over the years. And so I approached the problem asking myself to what extent could we figure out why, for instance, the mortality rate of blacks is about a third higher than it is of whites. The first question is whether or not that's just because blacks get cancer more, and it didn't take long to figure out that that wasn't the answer. It's only blacks do get cancer more than whites. It's about 10% more they get cancer more than whites, so that obviously doesn't explain a 33% excess in mortality. I got interested in treatment gaps. No one, when I got into the field, no one had really shown extensively that blacks were treated differently in a way that mattered. There were papers that showed that some blacks would get one treatment when whites would get maybe a different treatment, but nobody had shown that really translated into different in overall survival or the number of people who died of a cancer. I got very interested in lung cancer surgery because lung cancer surgery is one of those things that you know derives or we think, you know, produces a pretty big benefit and got interested in the extent to which that, whether or not blacks got the same rates of surgery as whites and whether or not that might explain differences and found that, in fact, the surgical rates were lower in blacks. And that did explain most of the difference in mortality between the two groups. And that led to a whole research program looking at disparities. To go off the course here for a second, the most interesting thing about that study was that pundits and policymakers saw that paper and interpreted it as evidence that white doctors mostly were treating, were racists and biased against their black patients and determined that or concluded that the source of racial disparities in healthcare in large part were due to cultural gaps and failures of communication and racism occurring between white doctors and black patients. And as a result, black patients were not getting the best care, be it lung cancer surgery or any other treatment for another condition. And that explanation kind of stuck in my craw because I've been a number of places in my training. I practiced in inner city Baltimore. I practiced in the suburbs of Chicago. I currently practice in the Upper East Side of Manhattan. And my experiences was that black and white patients didn't really go to the same doctors. I'd taken care of, you know, members of both racial groups, but not necessarily in the same setting. And so I further pursued this notion that the gaps could be due to the fact that black patients were 
interacting with part of healthcare, our healthcare system that was of lower quality. Did anybody do a quick and dirty, just looking at the admissions to Memorial Sloan Kettering, if you did a study by referring doctor, be it zip code, be it, you know, can you do any kind of demographic study working backwards from the doctor that sent the patient when they arrive at a cancer center? Yeah, so we didn't study Sloan Kettering's admission pattern, and we're a staff model hospital as well. So the admitting doctor is the referring doctor at some level, if you will. But the, no, but we, we did a national study because we thought this was an important question and found that, in fact, not only did black and white patients go to different doctors, but that black, the care of black patients in the U.S., at least primary care, was heavily concentrated in a small group of doctors, about 80% of all black patients were treated by about 20% of docs who had very little influence over the care of white patients who were mostly treated by the other 80% of docs. And then we also saw that the docs who treated black patients were, in general, less likely to be board certified and more frequently described the limits in their practice resources, their ability to refer the ability to get diagnostic tests done and the ability to get elective admissions. Yeah, I saw that in the article, and I'm thinking, you know, is the inability to not get a test done because the patient can't afford it, the patient can't get there, I don't know who to refer to. I mean, I saw that, and it's like, well, what do you mean you can't get it done? I mean, all you got to do is call up or write it. You know, a doctor says to write an order and fax it to the hospital. It gets done. What did you really find was not happening? Right. So, you know, the extent of the survey, I didn't go into that, the level of depth that you're asking about, but what you describe reflects the system you practice in. But not all doctors practice in such systems. Not all doctors have admitting privileges to hospitals that are local. Not all those hospitals have the imaging capacity that you're probably used to and I'm certainly used to at a major cancer center. And many doctors do have trouble finding uh, subspecialists to refer to in the area where they'd like to get a patient evaluated or with a condition they'd like to get evaluated. Not all doctors can easily get their patient in for a CT scan or an MRI. It could be to some extent because of the financial limitations or insurance limitations of the patient. And it could be also geographic limitations in terms of capacity. But, you know, you practice in some places like New York where we're thick as thieves, the doctors of all sorts of specialties, and there's an imaging center, as best as I can tell, you know, every few city blocks. But that's not the case in all parts of the U.S. I'd like to interrupt you for just a moment, Peter, to welcome those who are just joining us. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and with me today is Dr. Peter Bach from the Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. We're discussing disparities in healthcare. Based on the research that you've done picking up a problem, I mean, disparity is part of the American life. Can we change disparities in healthcare without basically changing the fabric of American? I certainly hope so, and I'm actually pretty optimistic. Of course, to some extent, health status is determined by social situation and status, and to some extent, poverty is, is the major driver of health. And so we can't change that necessarily, but there's a lot we can do. The, the first problem that we've had for a while, but I think we're kind of getting there, is defining what the actual problem was. And this key distinction between the problem being centered on the doctor that can't communicate well with the patient or chooses not to provide the best care to a patient who's a minority versus it being a more broad system issue really has allowed us to figure out what the right next steps are. So that's really a tipping point. It really wasn't appreciated. I think this has been a thought process in evolution, and I continue to think that there are major gaps in healthcare quality because of the cultural challenges or cultural distance between patients and doctors, and particularly because of linguistic distance or disconnection, if you will. Non-English-speaking patients, where there aren't good translation services in place, having been in these situations before, I mean, that's just sort of a non-starter 
if your goal is to provide high-quality care and a careful history and physical, it's very hard to do. If you can't speak the same language as the patient and you don't have a high-quality high translator available. But I think, you know, more broadly, the distribution of healthcare system resources and actually the distribution of healthcare practitioners in terms of their quality probably links very closely to all of the other economic variables. And so if you go to a poor neighborhood, there's more likely to be black patients there, and there's more likely to be poorer resourced physicians who may actually have less training and may have less skill in some cases. And the way to solve that is to rejigger the healthcare system. You provide better incentives for practicing in poor neighborhoods, provide pay-for-performance incentives that are appropriately linked to the challenges of practicing in poor neighborhoods, so that actually, if you will, the greatest profits can be had by serving the poor. And that's the right way to think about the system from so many perspectives, because actually, if you think about each unit of healthcare delivered, the greatest healthcare gains will always come when they're delivered to the people who need them the most. I echo everything you said. That really is going to make the change. Well, then, so I think that's the key insight in disparities. Right now, everything is shifted towards the healthy, healthy and wealthy population, and obviously we need to have healthcare everywhere. But, you know, I, I think we could rejigger reimbursement fairly easily. Right now, Medicare has payments to hospitals for serving the uninsured and for serving the poor, something referred to often as the DISH payment. Medicare has payments, extra payments to doctors who serve in relatively unpopulated areas, the health professional shortage area payment. The United Kingdom has been paying physicians for, I think, a decade now, differently based on the economic status of the neighborhood where they practice. So if you practice in a poor neighborhood, you actually make more money for providing exactly the same service. It's something called the deprivation payment system. We should be experimenting with all of those things because we should be thinking about whose health we're improving and how much we're improving it for each unit of resources consumed. Joseph Betancourt has written about teaching of cultural sensitivity and to try and end racial disparities. In fact, in the Annals of Internal Medicine, there was recommendations about teaching racial and ethnic disparities in health and health care. Do you see that as an important mechanism to change the situation? I know Joe quite well, and I don't think we disagree on this. You know, this is, this is obviously not a political talk show where the world is all with the glass full or the world is all with the glass empty. There's degrees of nuance here. I don't think that this is all system and none of it is cultural incompetency, I guess the opposite of cultural competency. I think that this is a multi-pronged problem, and I do think that those are key insights that come from Joe and other people, that we have a lot of cultural distance between our healthcare system and many of the people it serves, particularly in neighborhoods where the prevalence of the poor and racial minorities is low. I don't have any problem with trying to enhance doctors' communication skills. I think doing that under a rubric of cultural competency is fine. I think that really that good communication and good listening skills are things that translate across all patients. I already mentioned the very serious concern I have about linguistic mismatches and non-English speaking patients getting lower quality care. And I think that's a serious problem that's being addressed on a number of fronts, including a regulatory front. And JACO, as you mentioned, is taking having language services as a very serious objective. So I think all those things are good. The mistake, I think, actually, is to say, okay, we can solve all of these things just by educating doctors on how to communicate better because much of it is probably resources in poor neighborhoods. 
And so you can send a doctor who works in a poor neighborhood to a class, or you can make them a better human being and a better communicator. But that doesn't mean that they can get a thoracic surgeon on the phone when they have to. And, you know, there's both parts are required for the practice of medicine. And so I would argue that we need to continue to think about the fact that our system is not arrayed in a way that best serves the needs of its citizens. It's arrayed in a way that perfectly matches the socioeconomic distribution. And that's probably antithetical to delivering the sort of biggest healthcare bang for the buck. Our time has just flown by, Peter, and I'd like to thank you very much for being my guest. And we've been discussing ethnic and racial disparity in healthcare. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions. Please visit us at ReachMD.com and explore our on-demand and podcast features. Thanks for listening. I wish you good day and good health. You've been listening to the Oncology Power Hour on ReachMD. For a complete list of oncology shows and podcasts, visit ReachMD.com.